everyone. Thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. We don't know each other. My name is Brian and I pastor that location. It's good to talk to you today. I don't think it would be that hard to convince you that your life is busy. We are all busy. The question we don't stop to ask ourselves is in all that busyness, are we really being productive in what matters most? Are we getting anywhere? In this sermon today, we're going to look at the book of Haggai. And in this book, God talks to his people who are very busy, but are not very productive. So I hope you'll listen closely, because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. I've got a question for you as we begin this morning. As you think about your life, you think about your days, how you spend your time, are you busy? Are you busy? It's kind of a dumb question, isn't it? You're saying, yes, of course, I'm busy. We're all busy. And it does seem like a silly question, doesn't it? Because all of us are busy. We feel busy, don't we? One of the things that's always interesting to me about our busyness is we work so hard to become less busy. We try to implement all sorts of structures and, and technology that would make us less busy. But no matter how hard we work to be less busy, it just seems like all that happens is we become more busy, right? Do you remember? There was a day, and most of us don't remember this day, there was a day that if you wanted to talk to somebody, you had to find them in person, or maybe you were lucky enough to live in a time where you could write words on a piece of paper and somehow get it delivered to that person. But there was a day that in order to talk to somebody, you had to find them and see them face-to-face. And then one day we said, wouldn't it be great if we had a device in our homes and our people we wanted to contact had a device in their home that allowed us to talk to each other whenever we wanted? Wouldn't that save so much time? And then we thought, well, if we could just take that device and carry it with us all the time. Think about how much time we would save. If rather than having that device only in our home, we could take that device with us wherever we went, so much time and energy would be saved, wouldn't it? And we thought that would be the case. We thought if we could carry the phone with us, it would actually decrease the amount of work we had to do because we would go home and we wouldn't have to listen to messages or worried about who called. They would have already contacted us. But the opposite happened, didn't it? That little rectangle in your pocket uh, is sometimes your worst friend because it never stops buzzing or beeping. And then we also said to ourselves, you know, how inefficient is it to have just a box outside of everybody's house that someone comes once a day and puts mail into it? Wouldn't it be great if there was a system, this is what we thought, how much time would we save if there was a system where we could just send mail to each other Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. If we could just send mail that way, we would save so much time. And in fact, you know how we could really save time? We'll take that system and we'll put it on the phone that's in our pockets. And then we'll have so much free time, we won't even know what to do with ourselves. And then we said, well, what if there's a way we can communicate everything that's happening in our lives to everybody that we know and kind of know? And so we said, what if we could tell everyone where we're eating dinner and what we're doing that day? And so we developed all sorts of systems where we could let people know immediately everything that's going on in our life. And then we took all of that and we put it on the phone and we said in our heads, think about how much time we're going to save, how efficient we're going to be. We're going to know everything that's going on with everything and we'll have all sorts of free time left. 
But the opposite has happened, hasn't it? The phone in our pocket that has the mail and the contacts and the media, social media networks just makes us busier. It doesn't free up time. It steals time. And so I asked that question this morning, are you busy? And it's a, it, people just smile back at me and snicker. Of course we're busy. And here's the thing. I think we secretly like being busy. I think there's something inside of us that's, that's worried about not being busy. I mean, I'll confess to you, some of my most anxious moments are when I feel like I don't really have anything to do. I feel like I should be doing something. Like there's something that's being missed or, or I'm not, I haven't planned my time well if I have just this block of time with nothing going on, with nothing to respond to or nothing to do. I think we like being busy. I think there's this sense of, of meaning and purpose that we're, we're trying to get at uh, by keeping ourselves busy. And even as we're doing that, even as we're keeping ourselves busy with all of these things, there's this lesson, life lesson that some of us have already learned the hard way and some of us are still learning. And that is that our busyness does not necessarily equal productivity, does it? Busyness in our lives does not necessarily equal productivity. We think that it does. We think that it should. That if we're busy, we should be getting more done. But the reality of the situation, the reality of the world that we live in, is that we can actually be very busy and not be very productive at all. And maybe you find yourself in that sort of place sometimes, or maybe you walk in this morning with the December calendar filled out and all the work that has to be done and all the family things that are coming up, all the relationships you're trying to maintain, all the things you're trying to do, and you're in that place this morning where you're saying, yeah, I'm busy. I'm working. I'm keeping track of everything. I'm building my relationships. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I'm definitely busy, but I'm not sure if I'm being all that productive. This morning, as we get into the book of Haggai, we're going to look at a group of people, God's people. And they're, at this point, very busy. They're busy with all sorts of things. But they're feeling the same sort of tension that you and I feel sometimes. Where even though they're busy, the question is whether or not they're actually being productive. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, uh, you know that we're walking through the books of the Minor Prophets, those Old Testament books that one author equates to the little towns of America that don't get driven through much, the old Route 66 towns that kind of sit on the back roads. If you ever saw the Disney movie Cars, you know all about this. But all the back towns that never get seen anymore. Uh, he equates the Minor Prophets to those sorts of places where there's actually a lot of great stuff there. There's actually a lot of of valuable things there, but they just get missed often as we pass by on the interstate. The same thing can happen in the scripture as we focus on the Psalms and Proverbs, big prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These books have so much to teach us about who God is, and I think are incredibly relevant to the world that we live in today. And so we've been walking through these. And this morning as we come to the book of Haggai, let me just remind us briefly where we are in the whole timeline. If you think back about uh, God's people, the Israelites, you remember maybe that the first king the people ever had, the Israelites ever had, was a man by the name of Saul. 
And Saul eventually was, um, his, his throne was taken by David. So even if you're really not that familiar with the Bible, my guess is you know David. David and Goliath David, that David. So he takes over. And then his son Solomon takes over. And maybe you know Solomon, right? He was the wise king, the cut the baby in two guy. Remember that guy? That's Solomon. And so Solomon's son, Rehoboam, takes over. And when he takes over, and this is 931 BC, the kingdom splits north and south. And you have, uh, you have Israel, which is the northern kingdom, and you have Judah, which is the southern kingdom. And all these minor prophets, most of them prophesy, give God's word to either the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah Landwise is the smaller of the two, but Judah has one significant city inside of it that's hugely important. Does anyone know the name of that city? Jerusalem, right? So that's important for our story today. The city of Jerusalem, still a major city in today's world, a major city in that world, is located within the kingdom of Judah. And if you think back a couple weeks ago, we talked about the prophet Habakkuk. And Habakkuk was talking to these people living in Judah. And that conversation between Habakkuk and God went something like this. Habakkuk said to God, your people are out of control. They're not following you. God said, I know I'm going to send the Babylonians to take them into exile. And Habakkuk had a little problem with that, but he ultimately accepted it. So you see in the timeline that's on the screen, 931, the kingdom's established. Habakkuk talks to the people right before this Babylonian exile. The Babylonians come in uh, around 589 uh, BC. They destroy the temple. They destroy all of Jerusalem. They take the people captive, and they rule until they're taken over by the Persians in 538 BC. And around that time, around that time, that 538 time, the king of Persia, a man by the name of Cyrus the Great, he issues a decree and says all the Israelites who want to, that are under Babylonian captivity, all of the Jewish people that are a part of Judah that were under the, held captive under the Babylonians are now free to go home to Jerusalem if they choose. And so you could look at chapter 2 of a book called Ezra in the Old Testament and see that about, it's 42,360 people move back to Jerusalem. So about 538 BC, these, these uh, Jewish people are moving back to the city of Jerusalem. And just after that, about 18 years after that, Haggai speaks to the people on behalf of God. And so just a little context of where we hear. Think about what it would be like if you were one of those 42,360 people walking back into the city of Jerusalem. I don't know with that exile happening if there was anyone in that group who remembered what the city was like before it was destroyed or not. But my guess is most of the people had no idea what the city looked like. And they come back and they find the walls of the city in complete ruin. They find the homes and the marketplaces completely destroyed. They find uh, the temple of the Lord, what was the most important place uh, in their city, most important building in their city, the place where God's presence resigned, still knocked down and just completely destroyed. You think about a construction site that goes untouched, for six months or a year, 
and what that looks like, the weeds start to grow and dirt and dust begins to cover everything. You can imagine after decades what the city must have looked like as the people walked back into it. So what would you do if you walked back into that place? What would you do first? Well, the people, they did what they thought was right and what they thought was best. They could have started a number of places, but what they did was they said, all right, let's focus first on building our homes. Let's focus first on figuring out how we're going to eat. Let's focus first on how we're going to sustain ourselves. And so the people began to rebuild homes. The people began to grow livestock. The people began to plant crops. And they started to try to get the city of Jerusalem back on its feet. Sometimes I think we have to work hard to get ourselves back into the ancient world, right? If they didn't grow the food, there was nothing to eat. If they didn't raise the livestock, there was nothing to sustain their life. If they didn't build the house, no one else was going to build it for them. And so they busied themselves with all of this work. And in fact, if I had to uh, summarize what it is the people started doing here as they returned to their broken down city, is they started doing three things. They started providing, preserving, and protecting. The people came back to the city of Jerusalem and they started this work immediately, providing, preserving, and protecting. They started providing for themselves. They needed homes. They needed food. And so they started to build those things. They started to preserve things. Once things were built, you have to maintain. And so they preserved the crops and worked over and over, harvest season after harvest season, making these crops and having, trying to get enough to eat. They, they worked at raising the livestock and, and having, uh, uh, having the livestock have offspring so the herds would grow. They worked at building the homes and then maintaining the homes. They were busy providing for themselves and they were preserving what they had and they were also protecting themselves. Because here's what happened in the ancient world is many times other people groups, I think, were happy to have other people groups disappear because it was one less thing to worry about. So the Babylonians come and ransack Jerusalem and take those people away. That's great. Those people start coming back, 42,360 people. Now there's another group to worry about. And so there were neighbors in and around the city of Jerusalem they were not thrilled that the Jewish people were back in the city. And so the people came and they started to do all this work. They were busy providing and preserving and protecting. And if you and I were to look at the activity we do in our life, I would say those three verbs really sum up a lot of what we do too, don't they? We spend much of our days and much of our lives figuring out how we're going to provide, what we're going to do so that ends will meet and we have everything that we need so we have a place to live, we have food to eat, everyone's taken care of. If we have other people that are dependent on us, we're trying to figure out how we're going to provide for them as well. We spend much of our life preserving what we have, all the energy and effort that goes into maintaining the place where we live, that goes into maintaining maybe the job that we have, that goes into maintaining the relationships that we have. And we spend a great deal of our time protecting what we have too, don't we? Trying to figure out how we're going to protect our families and ourselves as individuals from the things in this world that might, that might hinder us, that might come against us. And we think through those things. And we spend a lot of our time busying ourselves just like the 
Jewish people did when they returned to the city of Jerusalem, providing, preserving, and protecting. After 18 or so years of doing this, the people of Jerusalem had a problem. It's the same problem you and I have. The problem wasn't that they weren't busy enough. That's not the problem. They were busy. Nowhere in this book does God come to the people and call them lazy. They're not lazy people. They were working hard. They had a big problem. And it's the same problem that I think you and I encounter as we busy ourselves in our lives providing and preserving and protecting what is ours. God comes to the people, the voice of God comes to the people in the midst of all their busyness. And in verse five of chapter one, God asked them to think about what it is they're doing. And this is what it says. It says, the Bible says, now therefore, thus the Lord of hosts says, consider your ways. God comes to the people and says, think about what you're doing here. It's been almost two decades. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. God comes to the people and says, think about what you're doing. You're spending all sorts of time providing for yourselves, preserving what you have, protecting what is yours. But as you think about what it is you're doing, are you being very productive? You're busy, God says, but are you being productive? You raise this food, but it's never enough. You figure out what you're going to drink, but it's never enough. You, you make all this money, but the money just gets spent. It just goes somewhere. And so even though you're working so hard, you're not very productive because you're never satisfied and you're never fulfilled. And how many of us find ourselves in this exact place in our lives where we spend so much of our time and energy providing for ourselves, preserving what is ours, protecting ourselves and our family, but yet at the end of the day, it never feels like it's enough. We consume and we consume and we consume. We make more money. We spend more money. We get more things. We, we get the bigger position. We advance in life. And no matter what we do, it just never seems like enough. We're busy. But as far as it goes, ultimately, we're not very productive. The other, yesterday, we went up to the North Shore Mall to get a couple of things. And it was disaster up there yesterday, as I'm sure it will be every weekend between now and when we celebrate the coming of the Messiah. <laughs> so we went up there, and, and not only was it already very busy, but they're adding on to that mall. There's going to be more shops coming in to that mall. And then we drove home, and we live further down on 95 towards Burlington. And so we passed a number of things. And we passed Linfield Marketplace, which maybe you've driven by. Uh, I remember when that was a golf course. We actually had our reception for our wedding at that Sheridan. It was a golf course uh, when we were married 11 years ago. Now it's the Linfield Marketplace. There wasn't a parking spot at the North Shore Mall. I can tell you there definitely wasn't a parking spot at the Linfield Marketplace. 
And then you just keep going down and see all the shopping centers. And there's Jordan's that I remember when Jordan's wasn't there. And then there's, you keep going down. Then there's the Burlington Mall, which also didn't have any spaces. And no matter how much we build, no matter how much we put up, the appetite for consumption, the busyness that we create, it's just never enough, is it, in our world? We cannot do enough, we cannot provide enough, we cannot preserve enough, we cannot protect enough to the point that we are content. And God calls the people out on this. He says, you're busy. And he doesn't say there's anything wrong with that. But look at the results. Are you being productive? You see, the people had a choice when they came back to Jerusalem. And the choice was this. Do we prioritize our own homes or do we prioritize the house of God? God had commanded the temple be built under Solomon. And it was. So remember, we talked Saul, David, Solomon. It was David, who wanted to build the temple, and God said, no, Solomon will build the temple. Solomon builds the temple, and that is the place where God's presence reigned among his people. That's where God's presence dwelt, in that place. The temple was the fixture that reminded the people and all those around Jerusalem that these people serve the one true God. And when the people came back to their city, they had a choice. Do we work on our own kingdom? Do we work on our own homes? Or do we work on God's kingdom? Do we work on his house? And thinking about all they were up against, the fact that they had no homes, the fact that they had no food, the fact that they had no way to protect themselves against anyone else, they said to themselves, we'll get to the temple later. Right now, it's about providing for ourselves. Right now, it's about preserving what we have. And right now, it's about protecting ourselves from those around us. And they busied themselves, but found themselves very unproductive. And God says this to his people in the verses just before those verses we we read. This is Haggai chapter one, verse two. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. These people made a decision, God said, to prioritize their home over my house. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? And he says to the people, consider your ways. See, the people had a choice when they came back to Jerusalem? Would they work on their own house or would they work on God's house? Would they be focused on providing for themselves and preserving what was theirs and protecting what was theirs or would they be focused on doing the things of God and and doing what God was asking them to do? And what God comes and says to his people is look at what you're doing. Consider your ways. You're working hard but not getting much result. No matter how much you create, no matter how much you provide for yourself, your appetite to consume it is never satisfied. You and I feel it, don't we, in our own lives. 
No matter how busy we make ourselves, no matter how much we make our phone light up and buzz, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much we achieve, this appetite that's inside of us for fulfillment and significance, purpose, meaning, is never satisfied by those things. I think that for most of us, we think that the answer to feeling like we're too busy and not getting any results is to make ourselves less busy. We think that's the answer. And so ironically, we busy ourselves with trying to figure out how to make ourselves less busy. We read all the blog posts and we search online and we read all the books trying to figure out how to make ourselves less, less busy. But in many times, it's, it seems like this impossible task. It's interesting to me that God comes to the people and he does not say to them, make yourselves less busy. What God comes to them and says is you are busy, fine, but you are busy with the wrong things. God says to the people, you've taken your ladder of success and you've leaned it against a house and you're climbing that ladder, but you're going to get to the top and you're going to realize that your ladder is leaning against the wrong house. You can work hard to climb to the top of that ladder all you want, God says to the people. But you're going to realize once you get to the top that you've busied yourself with the wrong thing. See, the people had a choice to make. Would they busy themselves and prioritize the work of God in their lives, or would they busy themselves with building their own kingdom? They chose to build their own kingdom. And God comes to them and says, look it, you want all this provision, you want all this preservation, you want all this protection. If that is going to happen, then focus on building my house and not your house. You want to be ultimately satisfied and fulfilled, have those appetites met, then focus on my kingdom and not your kingdom. In fact, in this book, the people start to rebuild the temple. And at the very conclusion in Haggai chapter 2, verse 19, after they've laid the footings of the foundation, God comes to them through Haggai and says, but from this day on, I will bless you. Now that you've put my work first in your life, all that you were looking for, all that you wanted, all that you were trying to provide through your own labor that didn't get you anywhere, from this day on, I will bless you. I don't know what your favorite Christmas movie is. I'll give you a moment to think about it. Could be It's a Wonderful Life. It could be Home Alone. That's the way up there on my list. It's probably just my generation, I guess. It could be uh, Christmas Vacation. I mean, pick your elf. Pick your movie. All right? You got it? My guess is the plot of your movie goes something like this. Everyone's enjoying Christmas time except for one person or one group of people. And throughout the course of the movie, they realize that they're not focused on the most important things, that there are more important things to be focused on, and so their heart changes, and they become grateful and happy. So whether you're thinking about It's a Wonderful Life, or whether you're thinking about Elf's dad, or whether you're thinking about Kevin and Home Alone, or whoever, Clark Griswold, whoever you're thinking about, that's the storyline for the Christmas movie. Almost every Christmas movie has that plot, doesn't it? 
that somebody is very disgruntled, they're working hard, they're trying to get ahead in life, they're trying to do all the right things, they are Scrooge, they are the Grinch, and they're trying to get all sorts of things done, and then the light of Christmas shines in their heart, and all of a sudden they realize what is most important. Listen, it's the story of Haggai, but it has a whole lot more to do uh, than just Christmas spirit. It has to do with the God who sent Jesus Christ to this earth. And what he says to the people in Haggai and what he's saying to you this morning is, you're busy, fine. But what are you busy with? What are you busy with? Are you prioritizing your house over his house? Are you prioritizing your kingdom over his kingdom? All of us do it, and we find ourselves on this treadmill trying to produce, trying to be better, trying to provide, trying to preserve, trying to protect, and no matter how fast we run or no matter how long we run, we feel like we're getting nowhere. Now, we can project to the rest of the world that we're getting somewhere great, but in our own hearts and on our own souls, it just feels like we're going nowhere. God is speaking to you this morning and asking you to consider your ways the same way he asked the people in Haggai to consider their ways. What are you prioritizing in your life? Jesus taught us this as well. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus talks to the people about all their worries and anxieties. And he says this. He says, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Think about those three questions. How much of our lives are consumed with those three questions? You ever tried to get a group of people to agree on a restaurant? That can take weeks. How much of our lives are consumed with what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. You see, the message that God gave to his people in Haggai is the same message that Jesus gives to his followers. And if you count yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you count yourself someone who follows God, then the message is the same to you. And that is, consider your ways this morning. If you feel like you're in that place where you are running and providing and preserving and protecting, and you're doing all of these things to try to get ahead and gain more position and gain more resources, and you find yourself unsatisfied and unfulfilled, consider your ways. Is the problem might be that you are putting the things of your own house ahead of the things of God. So consider your ways this morning. You're busy. We all are. But are you busy with the things of God in your life? You say, Pastor, how do I know? How do I know if I'm busy with the things of God? Because it's not like we stop working if we're busy with the things of God. I'm not telling everyone to quit their job. It's not like we're going to stop doing things on our calendar if we're being busy with the things of God. So how do I know? How do I know in my life that I'm busy making, uh, putting God's kingdom ahead of my own kingdom, putting God's house ahead of my own house? Well, there's four helpful questions that I think you can ask yourself today. And these come out of Tim Keller's book, Tim Keller is a pastor and author, uh, teacher. He comes out of his book, 
counterfeit gods. And ever since I read these questions a number of years ago, these are questions that I ask myself in my own life as well. You want to know if you have your priorities straight, if you're working on God's kingdom ahead of your own? Ask yourself these four questions. And the first one is this. What do you daydream about? Some of you are daydreaming right now. (laughs) What are you daydreaming about? What do you daydream about? What captures your imagination? What captures your thoughts over and over again? Is it God himself? Is it the things of God? How do you spend your money? It's another good question. How do you spend your money? Our hearts are directly connected to our wallets. It's just true. So how do, what do you do with your resources? What is your daily functional salvation? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What gets you going? What gets you excited? What is your daily functional salvation? And the last question is this. This one's pretty convicting for me. Where do you experience your most uncontrollable emotions? Where do you experience your most uncontrollable emotions? I mean, it's really a sad reality, I think, in my own life sometimes that I can be, I can hear the stories of people around the world, let's say, uh, who need to hear the gospel and go home and not care to a football game where I get incredibly angry when the team that I want to win doesn't win. Where do you experience your most uncontrollable emotions? Are you more frustrated and upset about driving around here than you are the fact that God is not worshiped? These are important things to think about, important questions to ask. Listen, I know in my own life, when I get this wrong, when I get this wrong, my heart is in a bad place. When I start prioritizing my kingdom and my house above the house of God, when it's more about me and trying to achieve and trying to accomplish than it is about serving and honoring and loving God, when my life becomes so busy that prayer and spending time in the Bible are pushed aside because I have things to do, my heart goes to a bad place. But when I get this right, it doesn't matter what happens in this world. Because God sits on the throne, and he's in control, and he'll watch over me. Our worries and our anxieties, Jesus tells us, cause us to put God's kingdom on the back burner. But it is true in my life, and I know so many of yours, when God's kingdom becomes the priority, all of a sudden, all those worries and anxieties just fade away. And so God's saying to you this morning, he's saying to me, be busy, but busy yourself with the things of God. Are you doing that today? I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward as we prepare to close this morning. And as we do, I just invite you to bow your head and close your eyes with me and just think about this for a moment. Think about the way you spent your week this week. 
how much time and energy and effort this week was spent on building your own kingdom, on providing and preserving and protecting your own house, your own life, and how much was it spent worshiping and honoring God. It's counterintuitive to us. But the reality is, as long as we're focused on ourselves and our own house and our own kingdom, it will never be enough. We'll never find fulfillment. We'll never find satisfaction. We'll never achieve enough, have enough. But when we busy ourselves with the things of God, we will find ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in Him. <laughs> when we focus on the God who loved us enough to send His Son to die on the cross for us, when we focus on what it is that He calls us to do with our lives, our hearts will find rest and satisfaction in Him. So God, this morning, I pray that you would show us those places in our lives where we are so busy building our own house that we are neglecting yours. God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the wisdom and the courage that we need to change things. God, I pray that when we get up tomorrow morning, when we go home this afternoon, and there's so many things to do, there's so many errands to run, there's so much work to get done, that you will give us the courage and the strength that we need by your spirit to set it all aside and spend time focusing on you. Remind us, God, that you'll take care of everything we need as long as we center our lives on you. We thank you for it. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont Campus. At Mount Hope, we gather each week to learn more about God, grow in our love of God and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts area, we'd love to have you join us. We meet Sunday mornings in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and Sunday mornings in Belmont at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at our website, www.mounthope.org.